Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with our host, Steve Krupa. Hello, Steve. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So what, what kind of uh, what, what group did you fall in in high school? You, you suggested in this podcast with Jeremy Rassen, founder of Aeon, that uh, you, you, you can nerd out with the best of them. And I'll tell you, you did. But I don't really yeah. see you nerding in high school. You were the rock star VC guy. I figured you were yeah. one of the cool kids. Uh, I think that I would never have been cool. That's for sure. And I, and I certainly am not cool in this particular podcast. This is, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, in high school, I was sort of like somewhere in between. And, uh, but I did like math. And so um, <laughs> we, we start talking about some math here, right? Yep, yep. And I think it's, it's fair to ask you, you know, whether or not you learned anything from this podcast, because we do talk about science. We have a chief science officer in the interview. Might as well get into it, right? Now you're, you're, so. I, I learned as much as I could learn. I'll say that. And, <laughs> And I was a nerd in high school, but I wasn't one of the smart nerds. So I don't know what that exactly <laughs> makes me. I think I think just unpopular would would qualify. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, this is a, a really great deep dive. Uh, tell us a little about uh, a little bit about Adion and, and what they're trying to do. Well, I mean, the, the whole question is, you know, you hear the, this notion of uh, you know how we can improve the healthcare system through analytics, and so we just decided to you know dig into that question and understand why. You know, sort of the health healthcare system analytics are different from, say, the analytics that are used every day on websites and so forth to sort of predict what our behaviors are, um, and the complexity of of looking at episodes of care and understanding how to normalize them and then analyze them. And uh, the goal, of course, is to is to find signals in that data that direct us to best practices or direct us to perfect moments in time for intervention and uh, those types of um, concepts. And a lot of it uh, is mathematical, because what you want to do is you want to replace mathematical correlation with some level of causation. And uh, of course, causation means that you're going to measure things over time, longitudinally. So uh, we talk about this and, you know, listen, it's real. I mean, if you want to get into, you know, data analytics and, and use it to make a difference in the cost quality aspects of healthcare, you have to understand what the possibilities are and what the um, sort of analytical framework is to get some answers to those questions. And that's what we try to do with Jeremy in this interview. No, I've, I've built a career with the understanding that everyone I interact with is smarter than I am. So this just, uh, this just confirms that fact. I'm sure our, our, <laughs> our listeners will enjoy the hell out of it. And, yep. uh, and I did as well. So, uh, let's get into this conversation with, uh, Jeremy Rasson. Cool. <laughs> Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Jeremy Rassen, the founder of Edion Inc. Uh, and welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Thank you so much. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm excited about the conversation because I'm 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 guessing we're going to talk about some nerdy stuff. Um, but before we do that, wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Give me it's probably and don't turn off the podcast now because we're going to do it in a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 a sort of uh, you know academic way, um, but before we do that, let's talk about your background and and uh, sure. and your you know the crazy ambition of of starting a, a data analytics company in healthcare. What what got you started in this? 
Um, my undergraduate was computer science, so I did uh, computer science in college and then went back to, um, to California where I'm from and spent the first decade or so of my career in Silicon Valley. Uh, and those were you know, the late 90s. Silicon mm. Valley was a great place to be and was um, involved with a um, company in the marketing analytics, marketing automation space where we were using big data every day. We didn't call it big data, but it was a, a large, lot of data. <laughs> it was a lot of data set. <laughs> it was a lot of uh, data and a big data set. Um, to to find um, correlations and, and and other insights in in large marketing databases, and um, that was a company called uh, Epiphany. I was the fifth employee there. Um, grew with the company as the company um, had its IPO and, and and kept growing beyond that. Um, and really saw the company from 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 all angles. Um, and loved the work, loved the the technical aspects of it, um, but really wanted to apply that to a different uh, field. Um, so that's when um, I went uh, back to, to Harvard, moved back to Boston, um, intending to get a master's in epidemiology and, and in particular pharmacoepidemiology, um, looking at uh, the safety and effectiveness and value of, of, of pharmaceuticals. Um, and ended up getting my PhD or, or my, my, my SCD um, and, uh, and uh, joining the faculty at uh, Harvard Medical School and, and Brigham and Women's Hospital. Um, and, and a big part of that was um, a gentleman I met while uh, in my first year there, um, Sebastian Schneeweiss, who's a professor of medicine, professor of epidemi- epidemiology um, at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. He became uh, my thesis advisor and then um, a, a close colleague on the faculty um, and, and, of course, a, a co-founder of, of the company as well. And um, we saw a lot of patterns in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a lot of... Uh, patterns in the science. We saw a lot of patterns in the questions. Um, we just saw a lot of patterns, and it became clear that there was a technology platform to be born um, from this. Um, and that's that's the short story of the company. Sure. Um, and uh, and certainly can tell you more, but but that's where that's where it started. So it's what, but there. I mean, going from marketing data, which is you know obviously you know a big part of the, the data that exists in the world today, is marketing data, right? And then moving into um, moving into, cl- into onto the clinical side, was there an event that caused you to say, "I'm going to go to that side"? I mean, there's a lot of other places you could have gone with your expertise. Was there was it a personal event thing, or was it just a, a just noting that that there wasn't a lot of great work being done um, with computer science and data on the clinical side? No, there wasn't an exact moment uh, where that happened, but I think I was programmed to, to go that direction. Um, I always joke that my father is a, a doctor, he's an internist, and my mother uh, is a social worker. And if you if you average the two, you get public health. Um, right. And so my uh, return to, to graduate school, going to the Harvard School of Public Health, I think was sort of programmed from, from birth in some ways. So where are we today in terms of data and analytics? There, you know, I, I'm, I always wonder, I th- when I think of big data, I think of you know, tables of data mm-hmm. that expand from here to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we're, trying to con- we're trying to capture, you know, I would I'd imagine, actionable analysis and information from that data. But from a computer science point of view, you know, give us a sense for how we're operating on that data, and, mm-hmm. and what's unique about modern times, if you will. So let me give you a perspective, which is that um, 
when I thought of data at the beginning of my uh, journey into healthcare, I thought of it as tables. Um, you know, especially coming from the marketing world, where you have your tables of customers and your orders and your, uh, you know, marketing programs and your responses. You know, table after table of data. Um, so I, I certainly thought of data as tables. When I think of data today in the healthcare field, I think of it as timelines. Hmm. Um, so I don't think of tables and tables of data, but rather hundreds thousands, millions, or, or hundreds of millions of, of timelines. Uh, and that's because the key questions in healthcare are all in some way, and, and this is you know going back to nerding out, um, yeah. all in some way uh, wrapped up with time. So it's not you know a single event that happens in a person's lifetime, but rather you know what is a person's medical journey, what is uh, a person's uh, sequence of care or treatment pathway, um, or, or whatever uh, term you want to uh, apply to it. But it's all wrapped up in time. So when I think of data today, I think of uh, in my mind it's horizontal, right. um, and you're looking patient by patient uh, horizontally across time to look at. Um, what happened in this patient's journey that caused this particular outcome or avoided this particular outcome? Um, and so my, my view of data has really changed. And that's reflected in our product, the, the, the Eddie on Evidence platform, where we take a fundamentally longitudinal view of data uh, and deal with all data um, as having this key axis of time um, as an intrinsic, uh, an intrinsic property. So, so when you begin to start looking, you know, at data in terms of time, um, are you are you looking at the data from a point of view where you want to test hypotheses against the data, mm-hmm. or are you looking at the data from a point of view of just trying to just understand what that time frame actually means? In other words, what is the meaning behind the data? Mm-hmm. It's, that's a big question. Um, so. My, my, my doctorate is in epidemiology, and, and one of the first things you learn in epidemiology is, is, is time. Um, and you look at a timeline, and you look at the different ways of characterizing time. There's calendar time, and there's study time, and there's absolute time, and there's relative time. There's all kinds of different ways of, of looking at time, but it's all about um, uh, sequences, and it's all about uh, – kind of internal and external um, intervention. So an external intervention could be something like the healthcare system changed and it changed when ACA passed, right? Uh, an internal intervention or an internal uh, part of the sequence could be a patient starts a new drug therapy. Um, and so when I'm thinking about uh, analytics on these data, um, at the patient level, it's, you know, what are the patterns that are going to allow me in aggregate to distinguish whether, you know, for example, a drug was effective uh, more so than another drug or, or, or less so than another drug. Um, and when you're thinking in aggregate, it's, you know, it, across a population, how can we show causally that this is true or, or, or not true? So on a patient level, so, so, you know, to answer your question um, – the hypothesis drives the question, um, but you have to work at all levels in order to be able to to know whether you're really answering the hypothesis with the analysis that you're applying to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so let's talk about the platform. What what ma- what makes the platform unique? What makes the platform? I mean, when you when you you said that it sort of arose out of your work in uh, headed towards your doctorate. Mm-hmm. What 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 light bulb went off when you decided to construct a platform to make this into sort of a unique company? 
Well, the first light bulb that went off was that my computer science education wasn't going to get us there. <laughs> um, and so um, the, 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 the third person on our team was Alon Rauer, um, someone whom I'd worked with uh, back in the Silicon Valley days um, at, at Epiphany. Uh, he joined uh, Sebastian and myself um, as, the, as the CTO and the third uh, co-founder of the company um, and brought in a, a, a technology team. Um, and the the genesis there was that in order to do the kind of science that Sebastian and I were doing at Harvard um, in our academic life, uh, in order to do it at that level of quality, in order to do it uh, at the level of transparency that's that's required um, by the different players in the marketplace, and we'll certainly come back to that in a moment. Um, needed a really, really solid base of technology uh, to do that at the size and the speed and the scale and the level of quality that was needed. Um, and so um, we built this platform that allows our, our customers, and, and those are biopharma companies, medical device companies, uh, payers, providers, to um, apply the, the, the science uh, needed to answer these fundamentally causal questions that they have about the safety and effectiveness uh, and value of medical treatments. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, the, the technology is at the core of that. And a lot of the technology is around um, measurement. A lot of the technology is around uh, longitudinality of data. But really, a lot of the technology is being uh, uh, consistent and transparent uh, in the science that's applied to answer these questions. So just as sort of an aside, you know, I think uh, probably a lot of our listeners took their stats classes uh, over the years, and we're always looking for correlation. Mm -hmm. But really what we're looking for is causation. Exactly. Is there computer science that wraps around this notion of causation? In other words, can I, can I program a computer to distinguish between correlation and causation? Well, that's a good question. Um, so th there's science that wraps around correlation versus causation. And, um, you know, going back to this notion of causation, our, the, the name of our company is, is Edion, um, which is a, a play on a, uh, on a Greek word um, meaning causality. So we put causality right into the, to the homepage, into the, into the headline of our company. Sure. And, um, and so it's something that we, we take very seriously because causation – uh, in healthcare, uh, you know, is is all the difference between making a good decision uh, in patient care versus a decision that, uh, you know, may be quite misleading uh, to the uh, caregiver uh, and uh, you know potentially harmful to the patient. Um, so causation is 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 really the center of it. And so, um, going back to your question of does computer science uh, um, lead to good causal methods? I'd say that's probably a no. Um, the, the the science of epidemiology, the science of um, of uh, working with healthcare data, leads to good causal methods, but it can be implemented and applied um, and created at scale with uh, the application of really good computer science and, and technology. Yeah. So so here's the way I think about it. You, you tell me if I'm if my my mental model is wrong. So if I think about correlation, I, I think about you know two or many variables. We pull them together. We figure out whether there's a correlation, right? Some sort of coefficient or some sort of relationship. Sure. But it sounds like causation implies, just going back to your longitudinal focus, mm -hmm. that something has to have happened first. 
in order for something to have happened second. Is that a way to think about it? From a yeah, from an absolutely, point? absolutely. I mean, sort of a a, a a trivial example, but I think a telling example is going to the doctor is going to be correlated with illness. Right now, did going to the doctor cause the illness? Very likely not. It's probably the other way around. People were sick and went to the doctor. Um, but uh, you know, taken to 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 uh, to to a next level, did taking a drug uh, prevent a downstream uh, health event? Did taking a drug prevent an MI? Did it taking a drug prevent a stroke? Did taking a drug cause an MI or cause a stroke? Um, and those are all you know really important questions as you're looking at the the underlying issue of which treatments, and that could be a drug treatment versus another drug treatment, or uh, drug treatment versus nothing, or different pathways um, for for managing a disease. Um, did a treatment lead to a meaningful change? Uh, in patient outcomes or uh, cost or uh, overall uh, uh, effectiveness value um, in, a, in, a, in a population. I'm going to take a quick break from this conversation to remind you that the registration for the Digital Health Innovation Summit is wide open. So go to healthigy.com, that is the word health, followed by the letters egy.com to sign up for the Digital Health Innovation Summit. It's happening on November 30th. In Boston, we would love to see you there. Now back to this conversation. So let's dig into the product. So when you're you're working with, uh, of course, it sounds like all the stakeholders, uh, providers, biopharma, payers, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. When you begin to work with them, are you working with them on, you've got a technology platform, I'm assuming that platform ingests data, and then you've got software that you can apply to that to sort of do your analysis or hypothesis testing. But when you're talking with your customers, what what products are you offering them? What outcomes? What outputs are you offering mm-hmm. from your platform? So we're, we're a, a healthcare technology provider. Uh, we provide a platform, the Edion Evidence platform, that is used by um, uh, all the folks you mentioned: biopharma companies, medical device companies, um, payers, providers, um, and even policymakers uh, to ingest the data and apply. Uh, high-quality scientific workflows in order to prove or disprove specific hypotheses around effectiveness and value uh, and safety of of drug treatments. Uh, We have a a, a patented rapid cycle analytic technology that makes this run quickly, run run at scale, run at extremely high quality, and importantly – um, run extremely transparently. Um, And and the transparency, I keep coming back to that because if you're working within a particular – organization, a particular biopharma company, um, transparency is important. But if you're working as a link uh, between a biopharma company and a payer, transparency is critical because each of these companies needs to understand what the analysis was, what it did, how it worked, and what it showed. And if you're looking at the answer, 22% difference, where did that come from? Do I understand and, and, and agree with the methodology that, that, that brought um, that number uh, to the front and transparency is a really um, important underlying um, quality there in order to be able to to make that judgment. Um, and so our customers uh, analyze their data. Um, so so we don't we don't provide data, but we can work with virtually any real world data uh, that's out there in the marketplace to determine medical need, to look at comparative effectiveness, can look at the overall value profile of different medical treatments uh, and medical interventions. 
Very good. So it, when you start talking, so let, let's go into my favorite segment, which is the payer segment, for just a second. Um, you know, there's this this uh, conversation, and and obviously stuff is getting done at this point around this notion of value based care, mm-hmm. and it's a very very sort of it's a very short statement that means all sorts of things to all sorts of people. Yeah, uh, could mean bundle payments, right? For example, um, or it could be. It could mean actually measuring uh, the the quality of various provider organizations and mm-hmm. and just and determining, frankly, uh, which of them are on the right side of the bell curve and which of them are on the left side of the bell curve, and then adjusting their compensation based on where they fall. That's another idea of value based care, right? But at the end of the day, I think what you're trying to figure out is if is if you if you implement a value based care program, what are the impacts to the health of the patient and the cost of the procedures, right? Right. right. Uh, indeed, and and you know, I, I I think that's the core of it. And the the hypothesis going going back to the to the hypothesis testing that we were talking about before is if I introduce this program into the population, if I make a change to my formulary from one drug to another, uh, am I going to be improving health outcomes um, and am I going to be changing uh, the, the cost of, of that treatment in, in, in one direction or the other? Um, and being able to prove that out um, consistently and with high-quality science quickly um, and being able to respond to changes in the population, and we can come back to that in a moment, but also do this in rapid cycles, um, is is critical to being able to answer these questions of, of value. Um, and and as I said, you know, within a particular organization, um, that's in, incredibly important. But there's also a, a growing network of value-based conversations, value-based collaborations uh, that are going on between, say, payers and biopharma companies or payers and medical device companies. Um, and being able to have a value-based conversation um, with high-quality data backing that up that's always risk-adjusted, that always has the best science, that always um, uses transparent methodologies um, is, I, I think, uh, an absolutely critical underpinning of, of, of value-based care, no matter how you define it. Can, can I ask you, just as an aside, what is the science behind risk adjustment when you're looking at data? How, how, can, can, how do you apply it? So the, the fundamental problem that's being solved there is that when you're looking at real-world data versus clinical trial data, clinical trial data is randomized. Uh, the the, the uh, treatment that a patient gets is determined by you know the flip of a coin, more or less. In real-world data, uh, the treatment that a patient gets is determined by everything that the clinician observes about that patient. And so you have this, um, this fundamental uh, – I don't want to call it a problem, but, but it's a fundamental characteristic of the data that if you're looking at uh, – uh, patients who are on high dose versus low dose statins, uh, and looking at an outcome of of MI prevention, statins are going to look bad. High dose statins are going to look bad because the patients who take a high dose statin are going to be much more likely at baseline to have an MI. And so you have to undo that mm-hmm. um, that fundamental bias. Um, and again, it's not a problem. It's just a characteristic of the data. And I think, as a company and as as a as a as a as a, as a scientist, I look at real world data as an incredible font of information for being able to make these kinds of measurements and determinations. Um, but it has some characteristics about it that we always have to be aware of and that we have to um, 
to, to work with um, with the best set of methodology. So, so the fundamental problem is this. Patients are treated because they need to be treated, not because you flipped a coin and said you get treatment A and you get treatment B. Right. Um, and so the science seeks to undo that, 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 that bias uh, to get real equivalence among patient groups such that you can do a real contrast that's meaningful and, and causal. It's interesting, you know, coming from a finance background, you know, the stock market analysts try to do this all the time with beta, right? They try to say, you know, how do I figure out whether this company is really overperforming the market mm-hmm. or does it just have this beta where it actually correlates as a, as a multiplier to the market in general? And that's really an, an, an indicator of risk, right, for stock. The higher the beta, mm-hmm. the higher the risk and vice versa. Are you, when you're doing risk adjustment on longitudinal patient data, is, are you trying to sort of find, quote, the beta of each individual patient so that you can bring them to a baseline understanding that the variance in the outcomes is going to be higher for them versus some other group? So you're uh, so I'm going to I'm going to so sidestep that I'm question. Wrong, I'm going to no I'm going to sidestep that question cuz <laughs> I I'm, I'm, I'm no finance expert. But I will okay. say just as a, as a sidebar that it, that it is not coincidental that our VP of data science uh, and a number of our engineering uh, team come from the finance world here in New York. Um, and it's not, not coincidental because of uh, the reasons you brought up, but also because of the fundamental longitudinality of, of finance data, sure. uh, much, like, much like patient data. But anyway, we'll come, we can come back to that if you'd like. Um, so the science seeks to create equivalence at baseline, meaning as the patient starts their statin therapy, be it high dose or low dose, let's get as similar a population as possible in the high dose category and in the low dose category, and we can do that through statistical adjustment because we don't have the opportunity to do that through randomization. Um, even if it were ethical, and even if it were possible, and even if it were uh, uh, financially feasible, we just don't have the ability to run the number of trials that that we need to run in order to answer the kinds of questions that we have in healthcare. So being able to do this with wearable data um, is critical, but to do it, you need to get to fundamentally equivalence at baseline, which is, I think, very similar to the the question you're asking around um, uh, beta and, and, and how you uh, kind of partial the effect um, in in changes in in stock values. Yeah. So when you when you get to the, when you when you and I would imagine and I don't know what the order or whether this is a, a cyclical process where you risk adjust, analyze, go back and risk adjust and analyze, and ultimately find that you're content that you've done the appropriate risk adjustment mm-hmm. uh, such that the an- analysis begins to fall into un, you know understanding understandable measures about mm-hmm. really clinical effect cause and effect because that's I think I think that's what you're trying to trying to come up with is what's sure. the, what's the best way to treat people that are on high dose right. statin, statins or what's the best way to prevent people from ever getting to the point where they are on high dose statins exactly right, right. Um, so so are you essentially running you know multiple loops or multiple uh, iterations on the data to sort of come out with an optimization of risk adjustment uh, that begins to make the results uh, palatable and, and actionable, or is it is it just a technique of risk adjusting and then sort of the one one time through, and and then you, and then you get to a set you get to a set of results that sort of works for that methodology. Well, it's sort of a big question because there's 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 kind of uh, 
there's scientific methodology built into or scientists but scientific best practice built into that so you know in 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 the scientific method you know as i learned it in in you know fifth grade science classes you start with a hypothesis and come up with a set of methods run your experiment and you get results so i think kind of the 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 best practice here is you uh, understand what your approach is going to be. You detail it out. Um, and as you're working with multiple players, um, if you're talking about a value-based contract between a pharmaceutical company and a payer, the methodology here is really key. You know, What are your outcomes? How are you going to measure it? What are you going to risk-adjust for? Um, what do you call a meaningful change? Um, these are all things that I, I would say um, one would typically lay out uh, uh, from the outset. Um, but where the the, the cyclical part of it comes in is that you're dealing with dynamic populations. So your answer today using that methodology may be different than your answer six months or a year or two years from now using that same methodology because the population is changing. And if you think about um, hepatitis C, for example, um, the hepatitis C treatments that came onto the market, as those get applied to the population and as those patients get treated – the population changes. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a, a shifting of, of, of the population as well. So you want to be able to take those methodologies um, and apply them and reapply them and re-reapply them to see what the current state is and what the current um, cause and effect is because that can change with time. Yeah, I, I love this stuff, as you can probably tell. I've got a significant amount of curiosity. Of course, the next, next point you'd make is, is, is similar to to any sort of observational um, exercise, this, the very act of observing, if it leads to some sort of a change in, um, in, in sort of the environment through observation, like say um, hep, hep, hep C patients, now we're observing them, we should be doing this, and you start doing that, then the next thing you know, the rest of the, rest of the time series data is completely altered by that one action, right? But the, the high-quality science and the best-of-breed science that, that we have um, and that we um, represent on, on behalf of um, uh, academia and industry and, and regulatory bodies and advisory bodies is built to, to work on that problem mm-hmm. um, and to you know, fully uh, embrace that as something that we expect to see as changes are made. So as you make a measurement, as you prove that A works better than B, as a move from B to A is implemented, um, you expect some some changes as a result of that. Um, and the, the methods are, are designed to to incorporate that, which is which is important because it's it's in some ways not easy. <laughs> right, right. And in some ways these issues are, are subtle. <laughs> and you could tell because it you know, certainly over our conversation it's it's taken a while to get to 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 to, to to, to this level of detail even you know so these, these are subtle, subtle issues um, and uh, you need that high quality science to really unravel um, all of these uh, these uh, issues that, that we're raising here in this conversation so sort of as you begin to produce um, this work for your customers how are, how are they using your um, your analyses are they using them you, you'd mentioned something earlier in the conversation that you, that you could see a, a risk adjusted or a value based contract forgive me, a value-based contract between a pharma company and a payer or maybe yeah. a provider network mm-hmm. and a payer. So is it is it one of those constituencies is coming to you and saying, we, we want to you know, embrace this value-based notion and I need an analysis so I can understand the business consequences of what I'm about to do? Uh, you know, I, that, that's a great starting point. And, um, you know, 
ultimately, if you're doing something that's value-based involving multiple parties, you're going to have multiple parties at the table. Um, and, and we imagine ourselves as uh, being in the middle of, of all of these parties and facilitating these conversations. Um, and these conversations are, are conversations built upon data and evidence um, ar- around value. But they start very frequently, like you say, um, with a single company having a question that they want to um, explore to see if that's worth engaging in a conversation um, with another party uh, who could be brought to that table. Terrific. Boy, we really dug in, right? I, I enjoyed this. Absolutely. I want, I want to make sure that we've, we've covered you know, all, you know, all the major aspects of the company. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining your business uh, ends up becoming uh, a combination of software, really almost like um, software-enabled services, right? Because at the end of the day, the, the meaning, you've got to deliver meaning to the customer yep. uh, in terms of what your analysis actually tells them about whatever business options they might have, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, fundamentally, the, the core of our product is, is a technology platform. Um, but, but as you say, these are uh, multifaceted issues, um, and we work with our customers to help apply that technology platform so they get exactly the the kinds of uh, evidence from the from the IDN evidence platform um, that they're seeking in the analysis that they're doing or in the conversation, the value-based conversation that they're having with other players um, at that table. Do you, do you envision your business becoming self-service for your customers or do you always feel you're going in to many be... Cases, no, no. In many cases, it is self-service for our customers. Um, so you know, what we seek to do is to, to set people on a path um, of self-service. Um, and uh, many of our customers um, are you know, uh, entirely self-service at this point, which is great. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that just becomes basically a SaaS licensing agreement for them to use your, your platform, right? Indeed. Indeed. Terrific. Um, so how, 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 long, how long have you been in business? How old is the company today? The company uh, was started in uh, 2013, um, okay. and the product's been on the market for uh, about 18 months, 24 months, um, and we are continually growing. We're uh, uh, approaching uh, uh, 75 employees, um, growing here in uh, New York City. I'm, I'm talking to you from New York City. Thank you. Um, but up in, in Boston as well, um, and uh, with a technology team in, in Los Angeles, and um, uh, working with uh, a range of customers at this point, and just growing and growing and growing on the customer side as well. All right. So we're, we're getting up against our time, but I have to ask you, you know, quote the final question, if you will. Um, just just uh, you know, give, give some of our listeners a little bit of advice on how to, how to build software. What, what, uh, what, how did you get started? You know, we were, you and I talked offline originally, we were talking about waterfall, agile, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, how did you guys write that first line of code? What, what, and, and, and how did you, how did you grow the platform from there? Well, the first line of code was the hardest, I think. <laughs> it wasn't Hello World. I <laughs> I'm going to have a, a group of engineers like chasing me down after this. But um, yeah, yeah. the um, y- you have to know the problem you're solving. And so um, I think identifying that valuable problem, going back to our, our value-based conversation, uh, identify a valuable problem, think about how to solve it, think about in, in healthcare especially how to embrace the complexity um, there's complexity everywhere in healthcare, and you just have to embrace that um, and and design a system that that takes all of that into account and write the code, knowing that um, 
that you'll solve a part of the problem and then another part of the problem and then another part of the problem and this will will come together um you know hopefully spectacularly uh, right. o- over time i always say it's it's seeking project requirements by building the project that's the beautiful thing about software right and you, talking to customers all the time yeah and, and because obviously yeah feedback the notion of the problem um you know can 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 be updated um with uh changes in the marketplace, changes in how customers are thinking about it. Um, and so being in constant communication with customers, I think, is, is critical. Terrific. Well, listen, thank you for joining me. The last thing, I, you know, how, how can the listeners find out about your company? A website, Twitter, blogs, any of that stuff? Where, where, where are you online? Uh, website, uh, edion.com, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and, uh, you know, phone call also works. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you, uh, Jeremy. I really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And that is a wrap. Thank you, Jeremy Morrison, for joining us on the Breaking Health Podcast and for telling Eddie on story. Steve Krupa, great job. Really did nerd it out, but in a in a totally entertaining way. I'm sure our Breaking Health Podcast listeners enjoyed it. Thank you, podcast listeners, for joining us today. And uh, please do do us a few things if you would. Just give us a ranking on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. Uh, tell your friends about the Breaking Health Podcast. We'd love to have more listeners. And uh, finally, shoot me an email if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. I'm uh, at tom at healthogy.com. That is the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Would love to, uh, again, comments, suggestions, or just say hello. I promise to respond in any case. And that's it. Don't forget to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on November 30th in Boston. Go to healthogy.com to do that and tune in next week for another great tale of innovation on the Breaking Health Podcast.